God bless you, everyone. My name is Dave, and I welcome you. May you all be blessed. So what will we talk about today? Well, there's going to be six topics that I'll touch base on today. The first one is careless words from idle chat. Number two is judging others. Number three, the emotion of anger. Number four, God's thinking is not man's thinking. And number five, God knows what you need. And number six, the practical importance of prayer. Let's begin with number one, careless words from idle chat. You see, careless words do come from idle chat. Some examples of idle chat are number one, gossip, and number two, lying. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And that's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. You see, Jesus spoke plainly about our idle words, yet his warming, warning often goes unheeded. Jesus said that for every idle word, there will be time of accounting on the day of judgment. We would expect Jesus to condemn profane and vile uses of the tongue. But idle words? Idle words are things we say carelessly without concern or impact on others. We too quickly assume that the sins of our tongue are minor sins that God will overlook. Jesus was fully aware of the devastating nature of our words, for the idle words that come from our mouths give a bad picture of the condition of our heart. Let's talk about hurting words. They can be from any type of idle chat. It starts from the heart, goes to the head, and explodes out the mouth. Hurting words like rumors, gossip, disrespect, manipulation by opinion, and deception through self-interest. Hurting words, let's say that again, hurting words starts from the heart, goes to the head, and explodes out of the mouth. Hurting words start from the heart, goes to the head, and explodes out of the mouth. You see, hurting words cause someone pain, and it is easier to point out every, even if the cause of your anguish. But the words that were never meant or words that we have thoughtlessly put out there may give someone a different type of torment. They may cause someone to question oneself if they are not good enough to be worthy of the words they were initially said. They may cause someone to look back and ask, did I do something wrong? What could I have done differently? They may cause someone to think hard, try to be better, and sooner or later learn not to trust. Matthew 15, verse 17 through 20. This is Matthew chapter 15, verse 17 through 20. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false uh, testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And that's in Matthew chapter 15, verse 17 through 20. Idle words are also words of rumors and gossip. 
Gossip means to tell secret information to another person. Passing on personal details about a neighbor to another neighbor is an example of gossip. A person who habitually spreads intimate or private rumors or facts, I don't talk about someone's private or personal matters, especially someone not present. The root cause of gossip is always without fail, jealousy. The more successful you are, the more attractive, the more kind, the more self-assured, the more people will gossip. They do it to try and bring you down. They do it to try and build themselves up. The gossip is also indicating insecurity. A secure person doesn't feel the need to spread rumors for the attention or to backstab someone and would rather spend their energies on something positive and uplifting. There are seven ways you can tell if you gossip too much. Number one, people around you love drama. Number two, you can't wait to tell secrets. Number three, people stop sharing with you. Number four, you have trouble coming up with other conversation. Number five, you feel better about yourself when sharing information. And number six, people come to you with juicy information. The purpose of gossip is to tear a person down and erode their self-esteem. It's in that state where the people may begin experiencing mental health, issues such as eating disorders, suicidal thoughts. Gossip can ruin friendships, relationships, and marriages. It hurts your personal and professional reputation if you are labeled a gossiper. It can create huge issues about trust between people and teams. It hurts the way people and departments communicate with each other and even their clients or customers. Let's talk about what rumors are. Rumors are unverified pieces of information, often involve speculation. Unknown if information is true, may unchanged slightly as retold, and finally, usually not harmful to other people. What is gossip? Gossip is that juicy or scandalous story, hurtful to another person, unknown if the information is true. It usually involves things that are not discussed publicly, and it may humiliate the person it's about. When people feel bad about themselves, they sometimes will target other people with gossip or rumors to try to make themselves feel better. As a result, they talk about others as a way to deflect attention from themselves. It is done through gossip and rumors. They do this for a variety of reasons. To feel accepted, to get attention, to gain power, to get revenge, to relieve boredom, or some other reason. Gossip is shared by the misinformation who often sound like fools while creating drama and disorder. These kinds of people start the conversation with, I shouldn't be telling you this, but, and then start continuing with that juicy information. There is a quote that says, the one who always insisted that they don't want drama is involved in drama. People who try to destroy with rumors are destroying their own reputation. Ignorance is judging someone from rumors that you hear and believe. Stupidity is spreading the, those rumors, thinking you will come out a better person. The idle words are also lying. The word lie is one of 
which constantly generates vision and a feeling of gross negativity. It embodies the sort of morality that most people would wish to steer well clear from. Despite this, there are many individuals who are prepared to spin works of fiction to their friends. People who lie seem to do this with very little difficulty, as if it is well-practiced. Lying begins to put great strain on all aspects of relationship, and if left unchecked, it will break the relationship. Now, here are ways lies hurts relationships. Lies erode trust. Lying shows, lying shows a lack of respect. Lying demonstrates selfishness. The liar is conning themselves too. Lies make a relationship unbalanced. One lie leads to another. Lying is a loss of integrity. Lying is a failed character. The book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 28, encourages to speak less rather than risk saving something offensive or saying something offensive. And that's in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28. In Proverbs 17, verse 28, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. And that's in Proverbs 17, verse 28. Often when we have nothing significant to say, we are tempted to speak hurtful and idle words. The more time we spend in idle chatter, the greater the likelihood that we will say things that are harmful. In the Bible, James cautioned believers to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And in James chapter 1, verse 19, the scripture reads, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that's in James chapter 1, verse 19. We are in much less danger of saying something offensive when we are listening than we when we are speaking. Think carefully about the words that come from your mouth. Christians should speak only words that uplift and bring grace to others. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. And I'll read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And again, that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do you need to speak less? Think about that. Do you need to be more careful about the kind of humor you use? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you evaluate whether your words build up others or whether they destroy and hurt others. Now, let's talk about Judging others. Judging others. Are you a judgmental person? Have you sometimes been more judgmental towards others? Are people judgmental towards you? What does it mean to be judgmental? And how does that compare to being discerning? Let's go to the Bible and see what we can learn. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, the scripture says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. There is a significant difference between judgment and discernment. Discernment is the ability to attain sharp perceptions well. Discernment is defined as the ability 
to notice the fine point details and the ability to understand and comprehend something. If you describe someone as discerning, you mean that they are able to judge which things of a particular kind are good and which are bad. Our problem is that we like to sit in the judgment seat and declare condemnation upon those whom we think have sinned. Scripture warns us not to judge others based on our own self-righteousness because we all fall short of the glory of God and only God can know the state of anyone's heart. It is suggested to follow a two-step approach when exercising sound judgment. So first, we are to avoid rashly judging such as condemning others based on our own feelings of superiority since we all have the tendency to sin. And second, and after we have corrected our own transgressions, we will have the clarity necessary to help others overcome their sins. We learn in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. To keep from being hypocritically judgmental, we must first focus on gaining the discernment necessary to correct our own shortcomings by rooting our judgment in the, in the knowledge of Scripture. The discernment Christians must gain is the ability to ascertain what is true and what is false to distinguish between what is biblically right and wrong in all areas of life. A discerning person doesn't readily believe everything he sees or hears, but keeps his reasoning aligned with God's words so as to walk justly and steer clear of false prophecies. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the scripture says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that's 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. We can grow in sound judgment by studying scripture and praying for the Holy Spirit to fill us with discernment. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the scripture says, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 15. At times, our judgmental attitude can seem to provide us an excuse for uh, excuse not to become involved in God's redemptive work in someone's life. The Bible reminds us that God will treat us with the same grace or severity with which we treat others. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the scripture says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For you, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God commands us not to judge others, but he does want us to be discerning. Jesus said we would know people's spiritual condition by the fruit of their lives. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, the scripture says, by the fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And again, that's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. God says grapes are not produced by thorn bushes. If a person's life produces thorns, we can assume that a person is not a grapevine. 
are we being judgmental? No, we are being discerning. Discerning is not the same as being judgmental. Remember, someone with discerning taste or a discerning eye is good at distinguishing the good from the bad and sifting out the gems from the junk. We have been instructed in the Bible to observe the lives of others so that we can help them while avoiding any sinful influence. Our discerning eye should be the voice of God so that we can help others. Dear Lord, allow me to be a vessel for your will with any discerning eye to help others. You will be helpful to others only if you see them as God does. Uh, and if you have been judgmental of others, ask, uh, ask forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, and pledge yourself to let God use you as his minister in reconciliation. And we see that in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verse 18. So, and the scripture says, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. And I close our opening scripture and share with you again Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, let's talk about the emotion of anger. Are you an angry Christian? What do we mean when we say anger? What is the behavior? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the scripture says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And few things are more destructive. That's, by the way, I, I was just reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Few things are more destructive to Christians than anger. Anger overcomes and destroys peace and joy. Once that happens, no one would ever think of you as a Christian. Anger causes us to lose our self-control. It causes us to say and do things we would otherwise never consider. Anger turns into bitterness that eats away at our hearts. Scripture consistently commands believers to put away anger and list it as one of the sins of the flesh. Yes, anger is sin and can lead to even greater sin. At times, we try to defend our anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And again, that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. As additional proof, we argue that Jesus cleansed the temple in righteous indignation. Ephesians refers to anger that does not lead to sin. Jesus was capable of being angry without sinning. When Jesus cleared the temple, Scripture does not indicate that he was angry. I repeat, Scripture does not indicate that Jesus was angry. And we see that in Matthew. We see that in Matthew chapter uh, 21, uh verse 12 through 14. We see it in Mark 11, 15 through 18, and Luke chapter 19, verse 45 through 46. And I'll read to you uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 14. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. 
the overturn the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. This is Mark I'm reading now, uh, chapter 15, verse 18. Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called the den of prayer for all nations? But you have all made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 45 through 46, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And again, that's in Luke chapter 19, verse 45 through 46. We must be careful not to justify our anger with scripture. Ephesians chapter 44, 31 commands. This is chapter 4, verse 31. That scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, commands us to put away all anger. And Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. That does not mean that we cease to have strong convictions or lose our desire for justice. It does mean we refuse to allow the sin of others. That we, that it, it does mean we refuse to allow the sins of others to cause us to sin. Anger does not bring about God's redemptive work. Far more often, it, it hinders uh, what God is working to accomplish. If you feel that you have a righteous anger because of something that has happened, see if you are holding anger in your heart without sin. Is your anger turning into bitterness? Is your anger causing you to speak in an unchristian manner? to someone or to gossip about them? Is your anger causing you to make excuses for your own godly, ungodly behavior? Uh, is your anger preventing you from acting in a loving, redemptive, and Christ-like way towards someone? You must examine any anger. You must examine any anger within you and allow God to remove any sinful attitudes that your anger may have produced. Now we're going to go to our fourth subject, and our fourth subject is God's thinking is not man's thinking. In our sinful ways, we spend more time telling God something rather than listening to what God is trying to tell us. Unfortunately, we don't understand what God is trying to tell us or how to make an effort to find out. Instead, we try to figure it all out in a carnal way based on what we know of our earthly world. Uh, God wants us to see the big picture, but we escape. Did you know God's thinking is not man's thinking? So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. There is a subtle temptation that encourages Christians 
to be practical. Being practical is actually doing or using something in the physical realm rather than with faith in the spiritual realm. So when we say Christians to be are to be practical, it means we try to do God's work in a in man's way instead of God's way. Okay, this is a mistake. Many Christians are lost as they are not following the light of the Lord that shows God's way. Getting results, that phrase, getting results, becomes the primary focus of many Christians. Uh, this means not operating under God's time or his way. We control things in our time, and that is an out-of-control state of behavior. Going outside of God's timing is out of order. It, also, it almost seems that we believe that the end justifies the means. That means we're in a rush. And we don't make the mistake of being led away by the world's reasoning. The world's reasoning. So we have to be careful about that. We have to wake up to what our mistakes are. The world's reasoning and logic is not God's reasoning and logic. And now let's go to our fifth subject. Our fifth subject is God knows what you need. Okay, God knows what you need. Seek out his wisdom. Let's take a moment to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, your heavenly father knows you. Don't be like them because your heavenly, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Even before we call on God, he has already begun to provide all that we need. We see that in the scripture in Isaiah 65, 24. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to learn how intimately God knew and loved each other and every one of them. And every one of them. Uh, that is why he told them to pray. He wanted to hear the voice from the disciples. He wanted a relationship. He wanted, he assured them that even before they prayed, God knew all about their situation. Prayer is not designed for us to inform God of our needs, for he already knows them. Why then should we pray? Prayer enables us to experience God more intimately. The more a child experiences the loving provisions of a parent, the more convinced he becomes of his parents' unrelenting love. Often a parent will anticipate a child's need before the child recognizes it and be prepared in advance to provide for that need. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we will face today and next week. He is eager for us to experience him as he provides for us. To our surprise, we often discover that God knows far better than we do what is best for us. At times, we assume that we know what would benefit us. We can even be foolish enough to assume that we don't require anything of God. Yes, God wants us to go to him in our need. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, the scripture says, And ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And that's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He is already, he is ready, I should say. He is ready to show his strength through our weakness. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what's best for us, and he is prepared to provide for every need, if we will but ask. Uh, and in Philippians 
chapter 4, verse 13. I can do I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And now let's talk to about our sixth topic, which is the practical importance of prayer. There is a practical importance of prayer. It increases the sound in the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of it. Us, If we increase the Holy Spirit, we can have less room for our foolish actions. Seek God through prayer. And we see that in Luke. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. And the scripture says, When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, I take delight in you. And that's in Luke. That's in the book of Luke. Chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. You see, the greatest moments in your life come through prayer. When Jesus prayed, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. The Spirit came upon the disciples as they gathered to pray on the day of Pentecost. It is the day the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, causing them to speak in tongues. When the disciples prayed together, after Pentecost, their gathering place was shaken, and they were given the courage and confidence to proclaim the gospel through the city. Pentecost is the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and other disciples following the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We learn in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that's in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Pentecost marks the beginning of the Christian church's mission to the world. We have the Holy Spirit through Jesus to God as our direction and connection to the will of the Lord. We must pray. Prayer is not a substitute for hard work. Prayer is the work. God does the things in and through our lives by prayer that he does in no other way. As we pray, as our attention is turned towards God, we become more receptive to aligning our lives with his will. God will not equip us with his power while we are racing off to our next appointment. The Holy Spirit will not empower us if we are unaware of what God is saying. God requires our own complete attention before he will fill us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. That means we must be spiritually awake. If you want to learn how to pray, use Jesus as your model. Jesus did not always receive what he asked for, but his prayers were always heard and always answered. We see in Hebrews chapter 5, verse uh, five verse 7, the scripture says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And that's in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. If you do not sense the Holy Spirit's power in your life, you may not be spending adequate time in prayer. Perhaps you are pursuing your own 
agenda rather than seeking the Father's will. That's God's will. If that is true, you may have abandoned the reason for prayer before God's answer comes. If you commit yourself to spend continued time in prayer, you must ask for God's purpose in you. God answers to his purpose. God does not answer to your purpose. It's God's purpose that he has in you that matters. The good thing is that the purpose is wonderful. We see that in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you future and a hope. God will work in your life just as he did in the lives of Jesus and his disciples. The best way to discern God's voice from your own is to practice stepping out and acting on his voice when you think of him. As you take these steps of faith, he steps, he helps you sort out and recognize his voice through a process of learning. Do this when you pray. Come to God with your request for guidance. Number two, wait in silence for God to speak for 10 to 12 minutes. Number three, write down any scriptures, songs, impressions, or pictures God gives you. So what have we talked about today? Number one, we talked about careless words from idle chat. Number two, we talked about judging others. Number three, we talked the, about the emotion of anger. Number four, we talked about God's thinking is not man's thinking. Number five, we talked about God knows what you need. And number six, we talked about the practical importance of prayer. Let's pray together. Raise your hands and close your eyes and pray with me. Lord Jesus, I come before you today because I want to hear your voice. I want, to, I want you to always speak to me just like you spoke to the prophets of the past. I pray that you will speak to me clearly in the name of Jesus. Lord, I praise you as my shepherd for you are the one who speaks so that I may hear your voice and follow you, follow you where you lead. I thank you, O oh God, for telling us the truth about yourself and also about ourselves. Father God, help me to have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking today. Dear God, open my heart to your impressions, and please help me close my ears to the whisperings of the evil one. Lord, today, I stand as an intercessor for those who are not listening to your word or your spirit, and who stray from your truth. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me. My name is Dave.